Good morning, everybody. It is great to have you with us today, and uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Thanks for joining us as we continue our Jericho Walls series, as we walk through the book of Joshua. Not the entire book of Joshua, but a few chapters. We hope to get to around chapter 10, and before we finish with uh, As for Me and My House, and, and uh, just a great study this summer. Um, I haven't always looked forward to each week, though. These have been some pretty penetrating uh, topics we've been dealing with, and I'm not gonna tell you that this is not another one. So here's your chance to get up and leave, or turn off the TV, or whatever. But um, this, is, this is gonna be uh, intense, because uh, we're gonna deal with some of the things that happened uh, when the walls came down that were done in secret, that God is gonna bring to the light. And so today we're gonna continue our series, Jericho Walls, about dealing with knocking walls down in our life that demand some courage, because they're built up strong. Walls of anxiety, generational sin, shame, disregard, all these things we've been talking about. But today is another wall that is, it's a struggle. And it's going to be something that is going to impact us and help us think because it's, it's a reality, especially living here in America. You see this throughout your neighborhoods. There is the reality of deception and lying that occurs in our society from what we think are simple lies to maybe some very more severe lies. But we're going to be dealing with deception today. You know, I, I found like a top ten list of most famous American lies. Maybe, maybe you, because because nobody ever in here has ever lied or deceived anybody. No, no, right, right, exactly. Just go back to some of your teen years, and I'm sure you can remember some of those things if you're not living in them right now, right? But here's some. Let's see. Let's see if if you've ever fallen prey to some of the most famous American lies. Here's one: the check is in the mail. Check is in. Is it in the mail? Well, it's gonna be, no. I'll start my diet tomorrow. Does this one sound familiar to anybody? It's a lie. No, no, you don't want it to be a lie. Um, how about this one? One size fits all. Have you ever noticed that is a lie? That is not true. We buy into that one, don't we? Oh yeah, one size fits all. That's no, that is not, that is not true. Um, uh, leave your resume and we'll keep it on file. Ouch, that really, that's listed in the top. This isn't my list, okay? I'm just reading this. Open wide, it won't hurt. Kids, I'm sorry, that, that one is a lie. You know, it, it's gonna probably hurt. Um, but you'll get through it and there'll be a snack at the end. Maybe something like that is what you wanna say. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Very seldom true, very seldom true. This one, this one speaks to me. This will speak to the second service awaiting lunchtime. Um, your table will be ready in five minutes. That's on the list of American lies. Um, I just need five minutes of your time. That is probably not true. You're probably gonna need more five minutes. I, I think this is the young people. I'll talk to you guys for a second. Parents and the seniors, you can listen in. Um, I think this is like one of the biggest lies of our 21st century. It's this. Oh, I didn't see your text. Lie. You stare at that phone. You saw the text. I, I didn't see it. Yes, you did. You know, you had to, like, what I do, I open the text sometimes when I'm in a meeting and I forget to respond. So for 24, 48 hours, friends of mine think I hate them. No, I shouldn't have opened it. You ever do that? But I didn't see the text. Give me a break. I love this illustration. A manager was asked by his laziest employee for a recommendation for a job. The manager thought hard all night for something that would be honest without hurting the young man's chances. And so he finally wrote, in quotes, 
you will be lucky if you can get him to work for you. (laughs) How good is that? How good is that? You will be lucky if you can get him to work for you. Not a lie, right? I mean, like, true, but, um, oh. I think we've all been tempted at one time in our life or maybe have fallen prey to lying. I, I really have... Uh, built in from my mom a very easily seared conscience. Sometimes um, my own family would be like, really, dad, on some things? I, I was that kid who was told to not go in the street, and if I stepped in the street, I'd come running into the house crying that I stepped in the street, and they're like, really? How do we punish this? He's weeping over accidentally stepping into the street. But as I grew older, and I started to get a little uh, rebellious in my high school years, and I started to kind of try to want my own life, and I didn't like some of the rules in our house and things like that, I started really pushing back on some things and I was quite difficult for only a couple years. Just don't ask my parents, right? And one of the things that was happening is I I wanted to, I wanted, I got permission from my wife to share a high school uh, liking a a girl story. And there's a joke in our family that dad dated his thousands, but mom her 10,000s, kind of like David and so, but, but, but um, I I, I had uh, an interest and my parents did not want me um, doing that. They weren't very happy with, with that whole situation. And so to protect names, I'll use different names. But um, I told my dad, hey, um, after work, um, I kind of had this set up in my mind. And, and um, I'm gonna speak to the young people here a little bit. I'm like, I gotta say something. That's not a lie. I don't wanna lie to my dad. So I do wanna invite my friends. I just don't want them near me when we go. So if I say I'm going with them, you're working all this stuff out. I say, hey, dad, after a work... Tonight, I'm gonna go with uh, Jim and Joe. We're gonna watch the movies. Dad's like, oh yeah, we're, we're, you're gonna go watch the movies? I say, yeah, we're, we're gonna go to the movies after work. What are you gonna go see? I say, oh, this'll date me a little bit. We're gonna go see The Lion King. <laughs> oh yeah? Yeah, gonna go see The Lion King. And um, he's like, all right, because I didn't wanna lie about what movie we were going to. I mean, we were going to The Lion King, and the more truth I add to this story, the better I'll sleep tonight. You ever go through this? I mean, here's a 17-year-old working this all out in his head, right? And so work happens, and um, it turns out that this girl, is, she's going to come with me, and she wanted to bring her friend along, and so I ended up taking both Brandy and the other girl, and I sat in the middle and watched The Lion King. And I don't remember much from that movie outside of him holding the thing up in the air. <laughs> because the shame I felt... I'm like, man, I never, I don't, I, I never, I don't, I, I shouldn't do, the, the, it, the popcorn didn't taste as good, the evening wasn't good, and all I wanted to do was to get this over with, I, I shouldn't have done this, I, I, I shouldn't, I couldn't, and I, all, that's all it was. it was, it was not an enjoyable time, and it turns out Jim and Joe didn't come, they called me late and go, hey, we're not coming, I'm like, that's cool, I actually wanted that time alone anyway, so it all was not a truth. And so I'm driving home and I'm like, hopefully my dad will be in bed and I drive home, I'll just go home and sit in my misery, you loser, how could you have done that? I was really frustrated with myself, I can walk it in, my dad's awake. And he's eating a bowl of cereal and I go walking by him, we lived in a row home in Percocet and I go walking by him and I go to the fridge and I open up the fridge door and my dad says, how did Brandy like the Lion King? I 
I get the door open. Get out something to drink. Um, what do you mean? Well, how did, how did she like the Lion King? Well, how do you know? Why do parents know this? How do you know that I went to see the Lion King with this girl that you don't want me with? He goes, Chris, you really think I thought you, Jim, and Joe were going to see the Lion King together? <laughs> I should have said Top Gun or something. What's wrong with me? And you know what? I lost trust. The next time going out was even harder to get approval. Now they don't know what else I'm willing to not tell the truth about. Young people, one of, the, one of the things about being caught in deception is there's such a ripple effect from it. It affects so many other things. You don't know the stress you're putting on people, the anxiety, the difficulty, um, the pressures in the home, all these things. See, I wasn't thinking about that. I just wanted what I wanted. I thought that would bring me freedom. I thought it would bring me freedom. Just do what I want to do and, and make some story up. But actually, it chained me the whole night. But what happens is this. There's this crazy thing that goes on. And this is why scripture says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When you do it once and you sear your conscience, it's really powerful. But then over and over and over, it's it a little easier. And so today, what I want to talk about is something that um, is easy to not talk about. This isn't a, a tickle the ear kind of thing. This is, um, this is something that is a part of life, and there's nobody in this room that probably won't intersect with the temptation to be deceptible about something. Whether it's cheating on an exam, whether it's plagiarizing something in college, whether it's not putting in all the tax information, whether it's not sharing the whole reality at the business office, whether it's not whatever. I said, what are some of the lies? I was talking to our prayer partners. What are some of the lies that um, different generations might struggle with? And I said, and we were doing different ones. And I said, how about the seniors? And I asked one of my brothers in Christ who's a senior. He's, his name's Wallace, super good guy. He goes, Chris, I'm trying to think, but you know what? I think seniors don't lie as much because we can't remember anything we did. <laughs> I said, that's a good thing then. He's like, yeah, Maybe. But there was a ripple effect to my lie, and there's a ripple effect to deception. You know what a ripple effect is, right? You ever throw a rock into water, and it hits, and it ripples out? There's a ripple effect. And, and, and what happens is, when, you, when the rock hits the water, it, it ripples out, and it affects other things. And we see this, but we think when we make a, a choice to be deceptive, we go, oh, and we drop it in. We go, oh, good, good. It's under the water. Nobody sees it. Whew. Well, fortunately, it happened, and yeah, there was a ripple effect, but it's under the water, and no one sees it. And then another one will happen, and, and it, it, okay, but at least it's under the water, and no one will see it. But you know what I did for you all today? I gave you, if you will, if you can see the bowl from wherever your angle is, I gave you the eyes of God. You say, what do you mean? 
If you look, you can still see it, can't you? You see, with God, nothing's under the water. So we got a couple options. We can pretend that it's not there, or we can confess that it's there. Because scripture's pretty obvious that what's under the water has tremendous ripple effects. So deal with it. Today, we're gonna talk about the wall of deception. And it's gonna have a lot, a lot of opportunities for the enemy to sneak in this room and shame you and condemn you, child of God. If you are a child of God, there is no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit convict you and say from this day forward, we're making a decision. I can't necessarily control what's in the past. I can ask for forgiveness for it, but I need to move forward without deception. Because when you see the ripple effects of what deception does, it is no doubt why God takes it so seriously. He loves us way too much to let those things just lay underneath the surface. Heavenly Father, use your text today to inspire us to live lives of honesty and integrity. No one in this room is perfect. No one. And Lord, many people might be dealing with stuff that they're afraid to bring into the light of your presence. But may they see that you're a grace-filled, loving God. But may we also remember that you do not like. In fact, you hate deception. And so may we learn from this illustration today in scripture. May we learn from the account of what happened at Jericho. And may we not repeat the same mistake but Lord, if we do, may we be quick to seek out your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you were with us last week, we walked around Jericho six straight days one time. On the seventh time, we walked around seven times with Joshua and he shouted and the walls fell down. But when he shouted, he said something. Anybody here just loves studying writing and techniques behind how to write something that is uh, powerful. Well, the Hebrew writers had incredible writing styles. And one of the things you see in Hebrew writing is foreshadowing, foreshadowing, giving you a, a glimpse into what is about to happen. And we saw this when Joshua said, shout for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. You see, a phrase has been introduced into this conquest. We're dealing with a time period very different than the time period we live as we live under the age of grace because Jesus came and changed everything. But at this time, Israel is living under the law and there are things that are devoted to God and if they touch them, they will in turn be devoted to destruction. And so Joshua is very clear. He shares from God, do not do anything with the devoted things. 
You do not take them, for they are to go to the treasury for the Lord. Keep in mind, Jericho was a first fruits, if you will. What a first fruits is, is the first part of what is being given is given to God. Those of you who have uh, studied out scripture and understand about stewardship and giving to the Lord, you know that God loves a cheerful giver. One of the things we love to say at this church is we don't have to give, we get to give. And if you have to give, I would suggest not giving because God loves a cheerful giver and we don't need your money. God is the one who inspires giving money. And that's why we do it cheerfully. It's up to him. And on top of that, there are many of you who understand the principle of first fruits and giving first part of what God has blessed you with back to him. Do you know that many people in our congregation, I was raised in a home like this, have lived off 90% of their income their entire lives. They have given a first fruit of 10% to the Lord their entire life, their income, and say, God, thank you for giving to me. I want to give back to you. Well, that principle of first fruits is part of what Jericho is. It's the first city to be conquered in the promised land. And God wants part of that treasury, unlike some of the other cities he asked for, to be given to him. And then there was another part, the rest of the city was to be devoted to destruction. This was a holy war led by God, and it was called, in another term, harem, or things under the ban. If you take them, you will be under the ban. And the law will require death. And so if you're with me today, it's Joshua chapter seven, and it begins by saying this, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the son of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Who wants to raise their hand and go, why are you saying people? It was that guy. Because this is a part of the corporate aspect of Israel being now under the anger of God because of one. It was a corporate charge on Israel during this time period and how God worked. Are you starting to see some of the ripple effects of one man's decision? I mean, what's one, what's one lie gonna do? The people of Israel have taken the devoted things. And on top of that, it breaks my heart a little bit of how many fathers and grandfathers are named for no other reason than they're a relative of Achan. Now we read this verse and we're ahead of Joshua, if you will. The writer wants the audience to be out in front of Joshua. Joshua doesn't know this has occurred. We know it because scripture has shared this, but Joshua doesn't know this has happened. And now it's time for the next battle. And the next battle is the battle at Ai. So it's first Jericho and the second is Ai. Now, if you're watching, we're from around Philadelphia and when you say Ai to this crowd, they think of a basketball player, not a city. It's a city in this situation, okay? So Ai is a city and and here's what the scriptures say occurred. Now remember, Joshua doesn't know that somebody has taken something under the ban. Here we go. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel. And he said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned and they said to Joshua, 
Do not have all the people go up, but let two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are a few. So about 3,000 men went up, from the, went up there from the people. Boy, one victory over Jericho. If you saw walls fall down, you're like, hey, hey, there's like a couple guys up at Ai. We're good here. I mean, we don't need to take them 400,000 soldiers up. Let's take like 3,000 up. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. What? God's army? And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sherbarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people, the people of Israel, melted and became as water. Wait, that's a familiar term. That's the term that was used of Jericho when they saw the Israelites cross the Jordan. You're telling me in just a matter of days, they go from, and see the walls come down to, we're all gonna die. It's over. How often are we like that? We see God do a great victory and then the next day we're like, it's over. I know I'm tempted sometimes to be like that. Come on, let's see the goodness of God. But now what's going on? Are you seeing a ripple effect? Israelites are fleeing from the men of Ai. They're losing a battle. 36 men have died. And if they were married, 36 women are widowed. And now there's children without fathers. The entire nation now is crippled with fear. That's quite a ripple effect. And they don't know what happened. It's as if they're walking around, right? What happened? What happened? What, what happened? It's under the surface. They can't see it. But there's nothing under the surface with God. Joshua, he tore his clothes. He fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord. He goes right up to the ark of the covenant. I wonder if he learned that from Moses. And he, slept, he was there till evening. And he, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads, which is a, a symbol of mourning. So look at the ripple effect. We have a leader now. Look, something has happened beneath the surface of Israel. And now we have a leader who is mourning. He doesn't know what's going on. He's confused. He must be struggling with some amount of shame. Did I do the wrong thing? Were we not supposed to go to AI? What's going on here? We were, we were just watching walls fall down and now he's laying on the ground before the Lord. And Joshua talks, he says this, alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? He's starting to sound like the Israelites that were complaining in the wilderness. Why even do this at all, God? And then he says this, would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Why do we even come over here? I mean, did you lead us over here just for this? Look at the ripple effect. We have a leader now, God's leader, questioning, doubting, struggling with, with, with frustration. And then he says this, oh Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Have you ever spent some time in prayer trying to describe God how bad he looks if he doesn't come through? 
when you've been around like 60, 70 years, maybe you've been around 30 years and the God of the universe has something to learn from you. Have you ever done that? It's cute, really. But it's real. We all struggle with it at times. God, what about, what about? God is perfectly okay when his leader's reputations are destroyed. Have you ever noticed that? With David, Solomon, Moses, didn't even get to go into the promised land. Yet sometimes we think God owes us something. But then other times we think, God, this is gonna make you look bad. And that's Joshua's fear. We're gonna be killed. They're gonna hunt us down if we're losing an AI. And that's what an AI moment is. Have you ever had an AI? Where you're feeling defeated and you're asking God, why? You don't get this, God. We really felt you leading us towards this. And now we find ourselves in this. God, I don't understand why. Why, why did you? And then we start going, can I trust? And then if only, was I wrong in what I did? And now what? I need to fix this, God. So, so what do we do now? Have you ever found yourself in those AI moments? What will God's response be? And it's interesting. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Huh? Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Oh boy, this doesn't sound like it's gonna go well. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. I bet his heart went fluttering when that happened. We did what? They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. And I see it. And you're not going forward. Where? How will God expose it? How will he bring it to light? It's as if in these AI moments when we're going, God, why, how, what are you doing? An AI moment is that time where God goes, why don't you ask yourself why? Why are you asking me? How, what do you mean how? See, see, we often like to do whatever we want and God just to keep pouring those blessings out. And I do whatever I want when there's something God wants to expose that is actually the root of all the symptoms. But when he does this, he goes deep. And we're gonna see more ripple effects. And this is gonna get bad. Therefore, the people of Israel, God says, cannot stand before their enemies. What? They're not gonna stand. They're gonna lose every battle they go into. Oh my word. They will turn their backs from their enemies because they have become devoted. What? We're devoted for destruction? With that stuff in the camp, you're all devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes, continue with me, by lot shall come near by clans 
And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man. So there's like a funnel. Tribes, and then I'm gonna call out the clan. And then I'm gonna call out the family. And then I'm going man to man. And I'm gonna expose this using lots, which would possibly be the Urim and Turim that God miraculously used to expose things for them physically during that time period that the priests had in their possession. You see more ripple effects. You're not gonna be able to stand. You're devoted now to destruction and my presence is gonna leave. What do we do, God? What do we do, right? He says this, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves because he's taking the devoted things because the person, get up, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Yeah, stay with me. Right back, go back. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your mix, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Joshua 7.15 says, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. What he has done is made it so everyone, God's chosen people, are devoted. They're under the band. It's an outrageous thing and in the morning it will be dealt with. Think about that night. Israel's devoted. God's not obligated to be with them anymore. They're told to consecrate themselves, so they're all back at their tents, they're cleaning everything. This is what they would do, they would clean everything in their tent, wash everything down, get the clothes out, wash everything. No intimacy, no intimacy with one another a night of prayer and concentration on the things of the Lord. That is what's going on. Because tomorrow, it's gonna to get exposed. Imagine going to bed. Imagine Joshua trying to go to bed that night. Tomorrow, you're gonna to expose somebody who has taken the devoted things of Jericho. Think about, think about the stress on him. What if it's someone he desperately loves? Who would have done this? How could this have happened? Joshua has to do something in the morning that is gonna be Difficult to do. Look at the ripple effect. And there will be a man exposed. We know from our writer, it's Achan. How about the terror that night? It must have been a rough night. And I would love to tell you the next verse says, because I think it would have gone a lot different but I would love to tell you the next verse says, and, and late at night, Achan went to Joshua's tent. I wish it said that, but it doesn't. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. <gasps> Imagine what that must have been like. You got a room this size, and it's like, okay, this section, come over here. Oh, my word. And then, and then he brought near the clans of Judah. Okay, this row. Oh my word. And then the clan of Zerites was taken. Okay, this family. And he brought near the clan of Zerites, man by man. And Zabdi was taken. Oh no, Zabdi. And then he brought the household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, man, it hurts to read 
because it's spoken with affection. It's like Joshua's like, oh my word, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered, and he said to Joshua, he said this, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. And Achan gives us a little bit of a formula of deception and how it goes down. He saw it and wanted it. I mean, after all, how much gold is in Jericho? Who's gonna miss a little bit? And then he took it. I mean, is anybody even really gonna see this? I mean, and, then, and then he took it because he wanted it. And then he hid it because he knew it was wrong. And do I believe God gave him a full night? Because whenever God pronounces judgment, there's a delay for his grace, I do. You see it in the plagues, you see it in the judgment, you see it in the fact that there are 69 weeks of prophecy that have been fulfilled, yet there's one week to go and God is delayed. Because he wants people to repent. And Achan had the time to not be caught. But he had to be caught. He saw it, he took it. He hid it. James 1 tells me you're dragged away by your own evil desire and you're enticed. And then after sin is conceived, like a child, if you will, it gives birth to sin. And after it gets full grown, it's death. And Achan said, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. This phrase hidden in the earth carries the idea that a deep hole, not just a hole, but a deep hole has been dug. Therefore, there's really no way his family didn't know being inside the tent that there was a hole dug. And so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And you might think, oh, they ran because they're a bunch of gossips because heaven forbid you share any of your sin because so often people shoot their own, right? I think this was fear. We've got to get these things out of this camp or we're all gonna die. We've got to get them out. And so I believe they ran in fear. And they took them out of the tent and they brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord. I can't imagine being Zabdi. I can't imagine Achan. I can't even imagine what that was like. The people are kind of freaking out. We've got to get this stuff out of here. And then Joshua tells us in Joshua 7, verse 24, what, what, what happened. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? Which is where we get the name Achor, trouble. The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned them with stones. They burned them with fire, stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Man, you read that account. And one, you say, man, there weren't the good old days. 
but two, you say, be sure your sin will find you out. Have you ever heard that phrase? It comes from Numbers 32. Moses says it to the people. The Reubenites and the Gadites, they, they said, could we stay over on the east side of the Jordan? And he said, first you have to cross over to the land. We have to conquest it and then you can stay here. And that was the only way Moses would give consent. For his first, he said no. But he said, if you don't conquest the land before you come back, you will be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure your sin will find you out. Now that's interesting in context because we often read that verse as if to say, you're gonna get found out someday, but that's really not what Moses was saying because the reality is, if the people failed to go over and conquest the land, everybody would have seen it. It wouldn't have been like, hey, did they come? They would have seen it. So it wasn't about that you'll be found out. It was much different. It was more that your sin, not so much that the people will discover it, it's that your sin will discover you. What? His point is you're not gonna be able to get away from the consequences and the ripple effect of that decision. I know, uh, I know someone who likes to say, who, who works in nutrition or, or, excuse me, works with coaches and different things talking about health and stuff. They say you can't outrun your fork. There's consequences to decisions. And there's gonna be a consequence be sure it'll find you out. There's a ripple effect to deception. And we see it throughout this story. Here's the first one. It offends God. Deception offends God. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Deception offended God and he had to deal with it. The second thing we see about deception is it hinders success. The Israelites will not be able to go forward and conquer if they're holding this deception. Whoever walks in integrity, Proverbs 28, 18, will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. The third thing we see about deception in this story is it hurts other people. 36 men died immediately, Achan, and their families were impacted. Joshua's faith was tested. The people of Israel were put under the ban. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. When we lie to one another, it hurts everyone. One of the things we also see about deception in this story is that it causes trouble. It brings trouble into your life. Proverbs 21.6, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. If you're making a fortune off of lying, it's fleeting. It's not gonna last, scripture says, and it will be a snare to you. Why? Because you'll probably have to hide it your entire life and live in shame from it. So it causes trouble. Deception also we saw in this story gets exposed. It's Jesus who says in Luke 8, 17, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. It's gonna get exposed at some point and then on top of that, deception 
suffers humiliation. Proverbs 13, five, the righteous hate what is false, but the wicked make themselves a stench and bring shame on themselves. Look at the humiliation. Look at the trouble it brought onto Achan in this account of scripture. And then deception does this, it ruins lives. And often the closest people to us, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deception impacts posterity. Look at the ripple effect of one decision. Look at the ripple effect. Offended God, hindered success, hurts others, causes trouble, gets exposed, suffers humiliation, ruins lives. How, how often we look at sin and think God is trying to hold us from something. When the reality is, God is trying to protect you from something. He doesn't want that for any of our lives. I don't want to see you walking outside my will. I don't want to see success entered. I don't want to see you hurting other people, causing trouble. There's a ripple effect. It's not just you. And God loves us too much to just let that ripple effect go on. And therefore, at times, he deals with it. But I can tell you, deception is a very real temptation because deception has a daddy. Did you know that? Deception has a father. We're told about him. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he is the dad of lies. He is the father of lies. And guess what he wants for you? He wants you to walk in deception. You want to know why? Go back to our list. He loves when you offend God. He loves to hinder your success. He loves you to hurt as many people as possible. He loves for you to cause trouble on your own life. He loves watching you get exposed. He loves seeing you suffer humiliation and he loves ruining your life. You want to know why? Because he hates you and he hates your wife. He hates your husband. He hates your kids. He hates your grandparents. He hates us. He's the enemy and he wants it destroyed. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself, Achan. He's not trying to ruin your life. He has so many blessings for the children of Israel in the promised land. Don't take the harem or the law will demand your death. Fortunately, you say, will the law still demand my death? Fortunately, there was a man named Jesus who lived and fulfilled the law. And he walked up to the cross and the wrath of God, this is called propitiation, okay? Taking the wrath of God. The wrath of God that you see in that Old Testament who has not changed, he still hates sin, got poured out onto one person. It was as if Jesus said, all your wrath, God, hit me. And he went, boom, and hit Christ and he died and was victorious over it so that anyone who comes to know Jesus Christ as their personal savior can walk in victory over deception, amen? Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you and me, amen? Because we got a real enemy and we need to walk those wall of deception down because he is trying to have a ripple effect on all of our lives and we can't let him win. 
And so what do I do? Jesus, what do I do? Because I got maybe some things I got to talk about. Oh, you want to talk about this? Yeah, I got to come to you because I don't want to suffer the consequences. I I want your mercy. What would scripture say? Don't ever lose this verse from your memory. Scripture says this, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. If you get real serious about this, this is what's gonna happen. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Oh, I see it, I see, I see it. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. We are so good at deceiving ourselves, scripture says, that we act like God can't see beneath the surface, like he can't see what we've been hiding. We serve a graceful and merciful God who says approach the throne boldly and receive grace. So God search me and you're gonna see there's layers to this. There's the stuff sometimes you've hidden real deep that might be having a ripple effect on your life. Folks, if you choose not to forgive somebody, it has a damaging impact on everything. But so does deception. Search me, oh God. And when he points it out, because it's often a reflection, okay? You gotta go in and get it. How? Here's a verse. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds, oh, I love this word, mercy. Mercy, mercy, I'm confessing. Okay, there they are. And if we confess our sin, here it is, Lord. I confess it. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. When we renounce it and repent and put it behind us, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whoa, you mean, you mean because of Jesus' work, when I ask for forgiveness, he can treat me like it's not in there anymore? Yeah. What? He can treat me like if I live the life of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Like, so there's no more condemnation? Not for you as a child of God. And my sins are separated as far as the east is from the west? Yeah, not north to south. There's a pole there, east to west. That's amazing grace. Oh, you bet it is. And that's the freedom that the enemy doesn't want you to know so that you walk in shame and lies and deception so he can have a ripple effect in your life and destroy you. Don't let him win. Don't let him win, child of God. Tonight, I know a little boy who goes, Lord, I forgive me of all my sin, even the ones I don't know I did. I wanna walk in confession because you know the ripple effect of a life that is constantly, search me, God. I confess what I've done wrong and I renounce it. Do you know the ripple effect of that kind of life? It's called the life of living honestly. It's like a truthful life. And this life is not a chained life. It's a life that sets you free. It's almost like the truth sets you free from these ripple effects. There's so many benefits to the honest life the enemy doesn't want you to know about. One, honesty, it offers you security. He 
Who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. You can walk securely. I don't have to worry about getting caught because I'm walking in honesty. I don't have to think about, oh, I better stay away from that. Oh, better not let anybody know that. You can walk with security knowing I don't have to. I'm being honest in this decision. Honesty, you know what it does? It provides direction. The integrity of the upright, it guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. How does honesty provide direction? It takes one option away. In fact, it takes one option that often takes other options away. Here's what I mean. What do you think we should do? Well, we could say this. Well, we're not gonna lie. Well, you just took an option away which I bet you're gonna come up with nine other options that you'll try to justify. If you simply say we're gonna do the honest thing, it provides direction because it takes so many of the other options away. Even if it costs us, we're gonna do the honest thing. Are you fearful of being ruined by poor decisions? Make an honest decision. It, honesty, you know what it does? It affords peace. It helps you sleep at night. The, it is well with the man who deals generously in lands, who conducts his affairs with justice. It's like God's talking to this proverb, is talking about our business endeavors. You're gonna sleep great if you're making honest business decisions. And you might say, well, we have an initiation, we could do this or we could do this, but which one's gonna enable me to sleep tonight? The honest decision but the other company might get the opportunity we missed. Yeah, yeah, they might. I guess we'll have to trust God to provide. But we're gonna choose peace tonight and we're gonna do the honest thing. Honesty imparts blessing. Proverbs tells us in 27, the righteous who walks in integrity, blessed are his children who are after him. If you've been raised in a home where honesty has been cultivated, it is a blessing to be in that home. Just ask somebody who has had the unfortunate task of growing up in a dishonest place. There's incredible blessing to it. And finally, it finds approval from God. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. You want to make God smile? This week, when you're tempted to lie, I mean, nobody's going nobody, to see it. You're going to go, God sees it. I mean, it's not everybody else is doing it. I know, but God is trying to convince me that I shouldn't maybe be doing it. Because honesty demands you trust God because you might not get ahead. Somebody else might get something. And you're gonna have to trust God to protect you and to help you move forward. But look at the ripple effect of honesty. You get to walk in security, not fearing you're gonna be caught. You get to have direction, not wondering if you're gonna make the wrong decision. You get to have peace knowing you did the right thing even if it hurt. You're gonna have blessing because it is wonderful to be around an environment that is honest. And you're gonna have the approval of God by all means because he delights in honesty. Wow, there's no chains on that life. Don't let the devil trick you into thinking deception is the best path because there's a price to pay. There's a ripple effect. And I think we all understand it and feel it. And so may we search, confess, renounce daily. Three questions for you to leave with. Here they are. 
because I got a gut maybe God had you either tune in today because there's no coincidence with God or show up this morning because maybe you're gonna be tested this week, young person, college student, businessman, businesswoman, teacher, construction worker, senior saint. Maybe you're gonna be tempted and you're gonna think about the ripple effect because the enemy likes to lie to us and say there won't be anything. Nah, 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 nah. What am I being tempted to look at? Remember Aiken? I saw it, I saw it, I took it, and I hid it. What am I being tempted to look at? Is it possible the enemy wants a ripple effect in my life that'll hurt other people? I'm not gonna hide this, I'm gonna do it. What am I being tempted to take? Where's he trying to cause a ripple effect in my life? And what am I being tempted to hide that I wanna get right before God? For when God looks in the bowl with you, he gives you that grace and that mercy. And, and don't we want to grow as a church where people can recover from their wounds versus being pounded for being, I don't know, a sinner saved by grace? Maybe we should put up a sign on these walls that say no perfect people allowed. But may we also be a church that values holiness so much that we are daily searching, confessing, and repenting of anything we may have done wrong so that we can walk in honesty. Who wants to have an honest week? The Holy Spirit says, me! Heavenly Father, use our church, use whoever's here today. To be shining lights as they move forward in honesty, whether they have dishonesty in their past, whether they have some lies that maybe they've been struggling with, maybe they're working through something right now and Holy Spirit, you're tapping on their shoulder going, hey, hey, let, let's get this out of the bowl. Let's get this out. God sees it anyway. You're not hiding anything. But Lord, I pray also that if there's anybody in here today who doesn't know you as their savior, they would see the wonder of having someone show this kind of amazing grace to people who are not perfect. And you offer it to them. You offer them a chance to take those chains off and walk in truth. And the truth will set them free and the enemy can't have that. He wants a ripple effect of destruction on their life. But Jesus, you died on that cross so that we could have freedom. You took the wrath of God so he can show us grace because he treats us as if we lived the life of Jesus Christ and his righteousness is given to us. Before God, the bowl is clean. And so Lord, if we've allowed some junk in there, may we confess it and may we renounce it and may we walk in the forgiveness and cleansing that your your wonderful grace provides. And we pray this knowing you're faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.